What's up, everyone? It is the Annie Up Podcast here on the Sawdust Podcast Network. I'm Adam Ronis, and again, guest each and every single day. Today, I am joined by Matt Dika. He's one of the players around football and baseball. We're going to talk to him about baseball. Matt and I know each other for a long time now. Always enjoy talking to him. Not as fun drafting against them goes very well. And I don't say that about many people. Uh, but Matt, man, what's going on? It's cold. It's January, almost February. But I started drafting and I haven't stopped. I know that. You definitely always are in those draft rooms in the NFBC and the draft champions. Uh, but, you know, how's it been for you over the last year with everything that's going on? You know, we haven't – I don't even remember the last time I seen you. Maybe it's in a year because uh, we didn't do the NFBC this year. I usually see you at that event, whether I'm broadcasting or participating. I don't remember. When is the last time I saw you, bro? It's been over a year at least, right? Yeah, I think it definitely has. Maybe uh, with Nando in Hoboken. Remember the time probably, lunch? yeah. That, that we that, had lunch, and sandwiches at that. Point. Oh yeah, you're right. That <laughs> might have been the last time. That was what late 2019, maybe. Yeah, I mean, probably something like that. It's it's definitely been a while. It definitely is. Hopefully, we'll get to see each other soon. Uh, as of now, I am going to be. Uh, once again, doing the uh, MTM uh, MCing. Uh, Mike Masato asked me to do that. I said yes. So that is scheduled. Uh, are you going to be in New York for any NFBC events if they do indeed happen? Uh, I will definitely be in Vegas. New York, I usually spend the weekend, but I'll probably just do a day trip this year. So maybe I'll, I'll come in Friday and might do the 9 a.m. auction. So maybe spend the whole day there doing that and hanging around. All right. Well, hopefully it happens and I get to see you. But, you know, you're one of the most successful players around and you do it at the high stakes level, putting big money on the line. And, you know, I always see there's some contention sometimes on social media between the analyst and the high stakes players. Uh, But what's what's your feeling about that when you're listening to analysts following their work and maybe they don't play in the high stakes leagues. Does that bother you or you don't care? Like what's your opinion on that? I know you've seen that stuff. No, I mean, usually I won't care. I I just think some people uh, talk NFBC when they've never played NFBC. So that would be like me talking DFS to somebody. That's the way I look at it. And, and, And I do think some people have some contempt for the NFBC. Uh, it's been called some names, you know, in, in the past. I, I do think there is maybe a little friction here or there. For the most part, though, I, I think uh, most people get along. Yeah, and it's definitely a great event. I've participated in it, and I definitely don't do the volume you do, but it is fun. Uh, we were in an NFBC auction together. We've already participated in one draft Champions League together. Although you're pretty much in every one, uh, but you, but you've had a lot of success, and everyone has different reasons for the success. Now, why have you been able to succeed at the high stakes level? What goes into Matt Modica's preparation, and the reason why you've been able to, you know, win and finish near the top in some uh, big contests? Uh, I mean, for me, I'd have to say it's just putting in a lot of work. I do watch a lot of baseball. 2020, the sprint, I really didn't watch much. It's probably the only season in recent memory that uh, I missed a lot of baseball, except for, like, the playoffs. Uh, I was moving in a whole bunch of other stuff. But otherwise, 
I do like to trust what I see. I mean, so sometimes you're wrong with that. But even the process with, you know, numbers and analytics, even if it seems right, it's wrong. But I do like to do a lot of drafting because I, I mean, I don't know what term to use. Maybe it's like a rhythm, but I get to be familiar with the board. And I basically know, you know, no matter where I'm picking, what's there for me. I'm not one of the guys that brings a computer. I mean, I bring my computer, but I don't have a program on there. I I just have like, you know, an Excel board set up and I just wipe out the guys that get picked. So, uh, I mean, some people do it. They have a system that they swear by. They've been successful. That's great. What I try and tell people if they ever ask me for advice is just do what works for you. What works for me might not work for you. And what works for someone else might not work for you. So, but I do think if you put the time in, you will be successful in whatever you do. I agree. I mean, I've always said that, you know, the reason why I feel I have success is because I grind it out, man. You know, I watch a lot of games. I check every box score. Mm -hmm. I never miss a waiver wire period. I'm always reading information, absorbing. And I truly believe like anything in life, if you put in the hard work, the results are going to be there. And it might not be right away. If you've never played in the NFBC before, I'm sure the first time is going to be eye-opening for you. Like there's a lot of people, oh, I've won my home league eight years in a row, this and that. They think they're good. <laughs> they jump in the NFBC and they're like, holy shit, what the hell did I get myself into? Did you have that moment when you first started in the NFBC? Uh, yeah. When I first started, as you said, like people that won their home league like eight years in a row, I think it was my Yahoo League, which – when I moved to LA and I was uh, working on National Treasure 2, my friend, the guy that I, like my first friend in LA, him and all his roommates, you know, played fantasy baseball. That's how I started playing back in like 2007. So from there, having success in it on that level is where I started. And I, I didn't start out with a main event. I started out with, you know, two satellite leagues, a 500 and a 250. And I won, the, I think, the 500, and I either won or finished second in the 250. And I used that money and parlayed it into my main event the, fo- uh, the uh, following year. And my first two main events, I finished second place in the league twice. You know, I had two top 50 finishes, uh, I think actually two top 40s, which, you know, allowed me that, you know, I had their money that I was working with. And that's always the best way. You see movie producers do it. You see uh, corporations do it. You know, raise capital with other people's money or reinvest their money. Yeah, it definitely is a great <laughs> concept if you can do it. Uh, what do you prefer, the, a snake draft or an auction? Uh, I think they're both extremely challenging. I'll say that the snake draft is kind of like playing chess. Where, look, I'm like a novice chess player. I play my cousin. I'm not like, you know, I haven't had him played in like probably 15, 20 years. And then when COVID hit, me and my cousin have been playing like nonstop. But uh, I kind of see it like that. You know, you're trying to, it's not just who you're picking in round two. I try and set up my board with where am I going to get my pitchers? Then you got to figure out where you're going to find pockets of speed. And all that other stuff. So I really do enjoy the snake draft on that level. The auction, though, is more of a freedom. I mean, obviously, you can't just buy like four $50 players, but you can buy, you know, the guy you want, you can get for the most part. 
there's going to be an auction you're in where there's somebody that will pay $50 or more. I've seen it. And, you know, at some point you got to say stop. But it, that freedom is nice. And, and, I, and I, I do love both. Maybe the auction, I would say, but I probably do a lot more snake drafts because they're more readily available. They seem to be the more popular thing. Yeah, they certainly do. Uh, they, it is easier to do, as you have shown so far in this new year, because uh, <laughs> you were telling me before what your first draft champions was New Year's you started, and uh, we're now here on January 28th. So talk about this month of January and how many drafts you've done. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a person that, you know, just can't, like, stand still. And I, I basically signed up New Year's Eve, and I've probably done about 12 at this moment, I mean, I have, I think, four leagues going right now. I'm in the 12th, the 20th, the 28th, and the 35th round. But, I mean, after you do a few of them, that second half of the of the draft, you pretty much have an idea of guys and stuff. I, I think if you're attentive, you pick up on it, and it's really not as cumbersome as it may sound. So, and like I said, I'm not no tech-savvy guy. <laughs> now – you're doing a lot of these draft champions leagues and I, I wrote an article about it and kind of going back to something you said earlier, I said, basically, you know, if you're going to run a marathon, you don't start preparing for it the week before. And it's the same in fantasy baseball. I feel like doing these draft champions leagues. Yes. Do I want to win money? Absolutely. It would be great. But I feel like this gets me into the rhythm a word you used earlier with drafting. Okay, getting familiar with the player pool again, because, you know, I do football and basketball. So there are some things I forgot. So it gives me an opportunity to go back and look at some things that happened last year, uh, see some stats. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, okay, this and that. Get familiar with the player pool. So that's why I like it. It kind of just gets me ready into the flow, into the rhythm. What do you utilize the Draft Champions Leagues for? Uh, There's a couple of things I'll do. And when I play the higher stakes, like high stakes in the NFBC, what it's listed under is like supers and up. And a super is 2500 So if I play a $400 draft champions and say I win that league, I'll get $3,000. So now if I do a super and I didn't happen to cash, I just spent $2,500 on that and I spent $400 on this draft champion. That's $29. I pretty much made $100 on that transaction. I'm just trying to make, make it simple on that. I'm not really playing it to win the overall. Would I love to win the overall? Yeah, but that's not my goal. My goal is to have uh, side money with these draft champions. It's one, it's it's prep. It's like my mock drafts, and it's prep. It's, tr- it's experimenting with uh, different builds. And, you know, it's you... If you play in these higher stake leagues, it's really competitive. And you could draft the right team and things could just go wrong. You know, injuries or the process was right, the player failed. That that happens. But like what I noticed last year was I draft, I was drafting up until April 15th. So I think I did the last online championship that night. And that went into like the wee hours of the morning. And then there was no drafts. I mean, there were like some second chance things, but I didn't draft for three months. And then they started up the sprint main events. And I learned a lesson, which which I knew. I wasn't going to do it. I didn't think the season was going to happen or it was going to go on. But then you get FOMO. And 
I, I learned the lesson of if you're not fully prepared, don't you know, don't play. I didn't get hurt because the draft champion saved me. Me and Vlad almost, you know, won a main event league. We wanted to finish in second that final weekend. But I pretty much broke even uh, on, on the baseball season. We almost won the primetime in football, me and Andy. But that's another story. Yeah, well, I think that's a good lesson there because I'm sure what happened is like, oh, baseball is coming. I want to draft and you do need to be prepared for fantasy baseball. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't think I've ever recalled doing a draft where I wasn't prepared for fantasy baseball because, you know, most of them are in March and by then I'm good mm-hmm. to go. But, man, I can't imagine just doing a fantasy baseball draft where you're just not up on things. And it's got to be such a it's, a bad feeling to do a draft like that. It's not like not even being up on things. It's I think for me it was more not having a, a decisive plan. Right. I, I think I kind of because you're usually to- very confident. You know what you're doing going into a draft. Like you have a plan and you have a plan B, a plan C, like in an mm-hmm. auction. So you're just like you're like, all right, whatever's thrown my way, I'm gonna conquer it. I, I think like I said earlier, I, I I don't play DFS. I think by the time I, I would have got in, there were just too many people that were much better than me at it. I, you know, I hadn't played and they staked their claim. So for me, I kind of, I guess the term I'd use is I viewed it as like a GPP where, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen in this thing. I wasn't sure if it was going to finish. And I kind of, you know, played it differently. So, which, like I said, the first rule of high stakes is don't lose money. And I didn't lose money. And thankfully with football, I made money. So that all worked out in the end. But that's that's the valuable lesson. And I, I kind of knew that before going in. But you say, you know what, I'll do one or two. Just keep the, you know, because those guys at the NFBC, NFFC are great. I want them to stay in business. I want to keep playing these leagues in baseball and football every year. And then, you know, that FOMO kicks in. Of course, we've kind of all been there. So now that you've done a lot of these drafts, so you've mm-hmm. experienced a lot. I think one of the most challenging things for people this year is 2020 was such a weird year for baseball because we had a 60 game season. So we have incomplete data. And from what I've seen, it feels like a lot of people are taking the 2020 data pretty seriously. You would speak better on this than me because you've done more drafts. How do you feel about that statement? Is 2020 really being taken seriously by people based on the drafts you've seen? Uh, I think some do take it seriously. Others are looking to buy, you know, buy those players that, you know, took the hit in 2020 that have had, you know, past seasons of, you know, elite production. You know, Nolan Arenado is a guy that's going in the third round now. And, you know, I see some really good players, you know, that just pound them every time I'm in a draft champion with him, you know. So there's certain guys, I mean, certain stuff is real, I, I think, or should be treated as, and like a guy like Christian Yelich, I mean, maybe there were some warning signs heading into last year with the back and stuff, uh, but I think most of it, I'm going to write off. I don't think he's going to be striking out 30% of the time, even if the strikeouts go up a little, the guy still hit 12 homers, stole four bases. I know that 200 average was was abysmal, but let's see what the Brewers do. I'm hoping the Brewers, I saw it mentioned, like Eddie Rosario, 
Uh, I think he'd be perfect in that park, you know, throw that bat in uh, Miller Park and put him in that lineup, which uh, would help. But I think a guy like Yelich, I'm going to bet on him returning. He's 29 years old. Uh, he's been a stud. Is he going to be 2018-2019? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about that. I don't know if he's batting 330. But if he bats 285, hits 30-plus homers and steals you anywhere from 12 to 18 bases, that's a nice foundation. Have you noticed anything that you think some people are doing wrong when they draft? Are there certain things you're like, wow, I'm surprised by that? Have you picked up and seen anything like that? Um, I, I don't – it's hard to say what, what I think is wrong. I might think something's wrong and, and it's right. Uh, I think sometimes people are going too overboard with the pitching. Like there was – I think seven pitchers out of the first 16 went. And you're just, I mean, guys, hitters are just falling. And obviously, if everybody's going to buy up a pitcher, you're going to have to grab it at least one. You're going to have to set up your board where in that first two rounds, you got a guy, or at least the guy you think in the third will get back to you that could anchor your uh, staff. Uh, I don't like to use the term aces because I think there's really like a handful of aces uh, I think there's a lot of anchors, you know, SP1s and stuff. But as far as like true aces go, I think that number is is limited. Do you feel that is the pitching pushed up because it's draft champions and you can't make any waiver wire moves during the season and you can't fix the mistakes and go to the waiver wire? Is that one of the reasons? Or do you think this trend will continue into March? Uh, I, I do think this trend will continue into March. I, I think it's for uh, various reasons. One, we had the sprint season last year, and that was obviously the correct way to do it. Look, I've always been somebody that's been heavily on pitching. I'll allocate a minimum $100 to $115 in an auction for my pitching. And in, in the drafts, I'll always get a couple of pitchers for the most part. You know, if, you, if, if you're doing a few, you're going to change it up. But I'll always have, you know, two starting pitches within those, you know, first four rounds, five at, at the most. Uh, but I think the success from the sprint, how that worked, uh, I think the success in the past of it. I mean, if you've been playing in NFBC, you know how vital starting pitching is. And I, I should say premium starting pitching is. So now you add that to it. And then you see the convergence of the of the new people that are coming into NFBC, uh, say analysts and stuff, and they're kind of pushing it up. Because I, I remember not too long ago, it was like considered taboo in the industry to draft a pitcher in the first round. I mean, God forbid you took two in the uh, first two rounds. That was like insanity. So... I think you're seeing that convergence as well. So I think you have multiple factors in there. And then when you add the no in-season pickups, you really need to have some sort of a foundation. What I my strategy's been has to try and get a foundation and then get those guys I think are really good on a perning basis. Maybe they're not going to give me the inning some other guys will. But if I have an army of arms, uh, you know what? I think I'll win the battle then. So have the foundation, try and get an army of arms of guys that on a perning basis you think are very good, 
And who knows? Maybe they want to pitch in the extra 30 innings that, that you thought they wouldn't. You don't know that. Any, we don't really know what's going to happen this year. So there's a lot of, you know, risk and give and take. And we're all going on our perceived notions, our assumptions. Yeah, that's another thing I was going to ask you that because of the shortened season, like some of these guys are going to be asked to see a huge innings jump. And it has created some confusion for people on what to do. But do you look at it as like, well, most people outside of the top guys that we know are probably going to go a little bit above and beyond. It's kind of a level playing field and a lot of pitchers are going to be dealing with it. Or do you look at each individual pitcher and their history? Well, I think the top guys, as you mentioned, uh, if, if I was doing, say if I was only going to do like one main event or one high stakes league and I had the number one pick, uh, I would take a starting pitcher with the number one pick. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you there. I, I think having that foundation, you know, there's a couple, like we said, there's a couple of guys here that do have an advantage on that. But I, I mean, I don't think you know, 200 is going to be a hard, hard bar to climb this year. But if you get 185, 190, that's still going to be really good. And if most of the guys say that second tier is even getting to, you know, that 160 range. But you got a guy who's throwing 130, and it's like elite 130 innings or really good 130 innings. I I, I really want that. So how, how to approach it is basically what kind of assumption you're going to come to whether, you know, it's your own research or you, somebody like if somebody loves listening to Ronis and Ronis says, this is my philosophy, they're going to go with that. So which is fine, but you have to have a plan. You can't just take all the pitchers. you got to have some hitters. And it, it does get tough. I will tell you this. You can walk in and say, I'm definitely taking two pitchers. And then you see those hitters fall to you. And that's the real test. You can say whatever you want to say before a draft. Uh, I've tried to do it in different ways to see how it, you know, plays out. But I definitely want to have that one guy what didn't say. I, I, I think, you know, that five to seven range or that 12 to 15 range uh, are really nice areas to draft from because you don't miss out on, on those first two rounds. You won't miss out on that run. There'll be a guy there, if, if as long as you have enough guys that you've written down, there'll be a guy there that I think could anchor your staff. We'll talk more about the high-stakes leagues and draft and hold leagues, more with Matt Modica, but first a word from our sponsor, Monkey Knife Fight. Do you like to play daily fantasy sports? Then you need to check out monkeyknifefight.com. MonkeyKnifeFight.com is the fastest growing daily fantasy site in the world because MonkeyKnifeFight.com is different than the other daily fantasy sites. That's because on MonkeyKnifeFight.com, there are no salary caps and you don't have to play against sharks, which means anyone has a chance at winning. Even you, Adam. Even you. Uh, MonkeyKnifeFight.com has tons of fun daily contests in all the sports you love. Baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, UFC, NASCAR, WNBA, and eSports, too. MonkeyKnifeFight has it all. You know what else MonkeyKnifeFight.com has? How about a free $5 game for you for just for signing up? And if you use the promo code ANTEUP, one word, A-N-T-E-U-P, you will have your first deposit matched instantly up to 50 bucks. With a name like monkeyknifefight.com, you can be pretty certain you know 
what you're going to be getting when you sign up to play. Monkeys and knives and fights and sports. Sign up and play today at monkeyknifefight.com. Play, play MKFing win. State and age restrictions apply. See site for full terms and restrictions. So that's how we uh, pay the bills. Talking some NFBC draft and holds with Matt Modica, one of the top high stakes players around. If you hop into NFBC Draft Champions League, you might find him in your league. I know that happened to me. Um, you know, and I, I wrote an article about this like last week. And I said, look, uh, depends on your playing status, how much money you have. For some people now, late January, they don't want to get into a draft because they're like, well, we still don't know some of these free agents and the closers. And I understand that everyone's different. Again, I like to start early and under, you know, you're going to get some breaks. You're going to get screwed. Guys are going to get hurt. It happens. But one of the most challenging things right now is the closer landscape because we know there's a lot of jobs and we just don't know who's going to close it. We're trying to speculate. So when you're doing these drafts in January, what's been the strategy as far as closers? Uh, I, I'm not a person that likes to take closers early. Does anyone? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, closers and catches have kind of been, you know, those are my Achilles heels. It's kind of like a tight end in football. But I, I think like Hendricks and Hayter, and even Chapman I'll put in there, where you know those guys – right now are in good positions. I think Hayter, wherever he goes, even if he gets traded, is going to be closing. So I think those three guys are three guys you really want to target. It's hard to pay that premium. But when you look at Hendricks, who I probably have to put up, put ahead of Hayter right now, is because, I mean, he's in, he's with the White Sox. So you got that division. More importantly, you got Tony Larusa, who basically created that role in a way. Like he's like, you know, it's there's no doubt in your mind. As long as he's healthy, he's going out there. He got a lot of money. They're on a very good team. And they're like really the only one in that division that's actually spending money. So I I I'm in certain ones, I'm looking to uh pay up for that closer. Because I think it is an advantage. Because after you get past, say, the Diaz's, the uh, Ratio Iglesias, and, and uh, Diaz and Iglesias are going pretty high as well. It's not like you're getting, you know, discounts on them. So, and I, I honestly, I don't really want any part of Kenley Jansen this year. I know he was good until the playoffs, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm not investing in him. That could be a mistake, but you got to be willing to be wrong on players as well. So that's a guy that I'm not going to target. It's unfortunate. I think Ryan Presley is really good. And if I knew he had the closing job, they weren't going to sign anybody, I'd be pounding him. Uh, also, Trevor Rosenthal, I was really impressed what he did last year, I think, on a good team. He's somebody I want to get. I was drafting him uh, more when I first started, and I'm kind of holding back now because, I don't know, maybe he's on the Yankees as a setup guy, and it's hard to commit that, you know, draft capital, and then your guy's an eighth inning guy. Yeah, and, you know, I've always said this. If I say something or write it, it's something I'm going to do in a draft, and mm -hmm. I can attest for that for Matt because of the draft Champions League we're in. I'm looking at the board now. He took Ryan Presley in round eight. Trevor Rosenthal in round 10. So Matt is telling you exactly what he does. 
Now, when it comes to players going early in the first couple rounds, is there a player that you feel is being overvalued and you feel like, you know what, I'm just not going to have that guy on my team this year? Is there anyone that fits that bill for you right now in the early portion of the draft season? I mean, I would have to say the two riskiest options. I mean, I just think their outcomes are just so wide. Is Kyle Tucker and uh, Luis Robert. I probably have a share of each. I, I definitely have a share of each. But I mean, I, I don't, I'm, you know, if it was a, a higher stakes kind of league, I don't know if I can make that commitment in the late second, early third. Uh, I think it was Rob Silver put out a tweet today that the possibility of Tucker batting seventh, I don't believe that, but the uh, Houston Beat writers writing that, that would greatly diminish his value. Uh, but is that going to happen? Is it X and Stone? No. But, I mean, those are guys you have to worry about. I mean, they they don't have the track record. I mean, they're tantalizing. I think I like Tucker more than I like uh, Robert, of course. Uh, I, I think Tucker has a better hit tool. But, you know, a lot of people like these guys. I like them too, but I, I'm going to be a little more hesitant, you know, on them. Mike Trout has taken a tumble. In the draft we did, he went ninth overall. Other drafts, seen him go fifth, sixth, but it seems like he's been outside of the top five. Is that the right decision because of the lack of stolen bases and some of the other players that give you more steals? Or do you think uh, it's uh, he's become undervalued even that early in a draft? I, I think he's becoming undervalued, and I, and this is why I'll say this. Look, uh, Juan Soto was great. I, if you took Juan Soto first overall, I don't have a problem with it. But if you if you combine if you average steamer and the bat projections, they're pretty much in line. But you know maybe Juan Soto's gonna bat ten points higher, but Mike Trout might hit like five more homers and score some more runs or something like that. But they're pretty identical, you know, in their projections. For me, like I said, if you're gonna play in the NFBC, if you're gonna play where there's no in season pickups. It's hard not to get that picture you think is above and beyond. And I think there's three of them. I think everybody thinks that. So that's just the consensus. But having that advantage. But again, like I say, it's tough to pass on these bats. But, I mean, I can, if I if I had the ninth pick and, my, and I take Mike Trout, I'm ecstatic. I have no problems whatsoever. If you think this guy's going to hit 40 homers and say he bats 285, and, and I see everybody's got him for like say ten to twelve stolen bases. He's stolen like I, what is it? I think it's like fifty nine of the last sixty six or sixty seven attempts. He's been successful. He didn't run last year. It was a sprint season. His wife was pregnant. You know I don't know what was going on. But if he wants to run, I think like uh, Trout will be successful. Will he run at the pace in the in the past? I don't think so, but I think he'll get you to double-digit stolen bases. Now, I think you did mention this earlier. If you had the number one pick, you would take a pitcher in a high-stakes league, correct? That is correct, but let me just preference this. I'm doing an online championship, which is a 12-team league, uh, $350 entrance on Monday night, and I got the number one pick. So I'm probably going to go Tatis there. I'm thinking pitcher, but I'm like, you know what? At pick, you know, 24 and 25, I can double up on pitches if I feel I need to do that. 
I could I think there'll be a guy that I want there that I feel comfortable. So in a 12 teamer, I'm more liberal with that. You know, I'm more, you know, if I if if I'm you know getting the first pick, it's not pick 30 where 12 starting pitchers have gone already. Those in the last like 18 days, that's been the average. 12 pitchers in a 15-team draft champions go by pick 30. So by pick 24, it's it, there's a there's a significant difference. So I just want to be clear on that reasoning. Yeah, you know, and that's a good point you bring up too. The 12 team versus 15 team league, it's a big difference, man. Do you find yourself with a difficult adjustment going from a 15 to a 12, or is it something that over the years you've kind of been able to deal with? No, no, I find it very difficult. I tweeted out, I did do an online, I did do an online championship like a week or so ago. And I tweeted out that, you know, doing a 12-teamer is like drafted on acid. And you just see all these guys in these rounds, and you're like, oh, he's here, he's here. But then you realize, you know, you got to, like, control yourself because you're it's, it's only a 12-team league. So that's why with the number one pick, I'm going to go with, say, somebody like Tatis. I'll, I'll fill up my shortstop. I mean, uh, maybe I go with Cooner, but... Those are probably the two options. I mean, look, hell, I think Mookie Betts is a, a fine number one pick. I, uh, I, I'm not buying this batting average is going to be low. I think he's going to steal the 20 bases, hit 30 homers, you know, score a bazillion runs like he always does. So I think you have many options. But the point being, in a 12-teamer, I, I am fine with the number one pick taking the offensive player. And at worst case, grabbing at least one at 24 or just doubling up on pitching if you really want that. Yeah, it does really feel this year that there really is no consensus number one pick. You know, I've seen Acuna go on bets, Tatis, Soto, a pitcher. It feels like one of those years where there's not a consensus number one. Do you think it remains that way or someone will emerge as the consensus number one as we get into March? No, I think it'll remain that way. I think if you're playing the NFBC and when we go live, which is like the final two weeks before the season, and we roll out the main events, you're going to see starting pitchers go number one, whether it's DeGrom, Cole. Uh, I mean, Bieber has been hanging around, you know, that five to ten range of late. I haven't seen him go in, in the number one. I've seen DeGrom. I've seen Cole. I haven't seen Bieber as of late. I, you know, the Indians are selling off their payrolls like $40 million. So, I mean, I, I kind of get it in that aspect. But I think the guy's a stud and, you know, it's still a crappy division. I think I think he is real. I'm not, you know, doubting that it was only two months. You know, I, I like to with, – with the pitchers, I think the most important thing that I can preach is – what I do is addition by subtraction. I look at the picks, Mitch's, uh, picks, Mitch. I can't say the word. Mix. <laughs> there you go. Mix. And I see, did they, you know, stop throwing their fastball 50% or 60% of the time when their fastball wasn't good? You know, if you have a fastball like the Grom or Cole, yeah, you, you can throw it. And that's like the best pitch because everything else will play off it. But like Bieber did, is Bieber's throwing it, like so whatever, I don't know, 37% of the time, let's say. And he's his, you know, his breaking pitches, he's throwing, you know, almost 60% of it. That's a, that's a huge swing. So, you know, look at guys like that that are making those adjustments. 
Uh, and I mean, now with baseball savant, it's even like easier. You just pull up the page. It's pretty much right there for you. You just have to do a, maybe a little more research on it. But I think it's gotten even easier to see that now. And that's one thing I do swear by. Addition by subtraction. That's where you can find these guys that, you know, not everybody can throw the fastball or should throw the fastball 50% of the time or more. And I think as they learn, as they get into the league, you see those guys eventually, it's like evolution. They start going to closer to 40% and then under 40%. And then you see whatever it is, the slide piece or the curve or the change, those start ramping up. I mean, look at a guy like Aaron Nola, just for example, who basically changed his whole pitch mix. And he's been a guy who's been successful for the most part. Uh, I'm a big Nola guy this year. Uh, maybe last year I had maybe some doubts, uh, but every other year I've been a backer. I'm back on, and and he's been really good in that ballpark in his home park. He's you know he's been there for quite some time and he's been successful. Like me, you are a Mets fan as well, and it's a <laughs> different feeling for Mets fans with Steve Cohen buying the team. I kind of the only disappointment I have is we can't fill that ballpark on opening day because the energy there would be phenomenal. But, I mean, how great is this right now, being a Mets fan? You, you know, it's, 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 been a, it's, it's been a long time. It's the, the sale of the team, like you said, it's just that alone we could have had a parade for. I would, I would have, you know, I, I, I could have celebrated that much for just having a new – having hope because we knew that hope wasn't there – and Brody Van Wagen basically swindled them into believing they could compete and do it on, you know, the fly and on the cheap kind of way. And it kind of destroyed the, you know, the farm system. And we got a guy, we got to pay this money that's not even going to play. And he should have never been on the team. So I'm extremely excited. I think the Lindor trade was imperative. We needed that shortstop. The young guy who will, who will age well has the body, you know, he first off, he's just Mr. Enthusiasm. He's a great player. He's a great defensive player. We get, we shore up the middle there. I mean, I would have liked Springer, but I really didn't want to give a 31-year-old, going to be 32 later this year, six years, $150 million, especially to play center field. But center field's more of a younger guy's position. And I, and I think Springer's awesome. I've been drafting him, you know, nonstop. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That was before he even signed with the Jays. So I'm extremely excited as a Met fan. I don't want to give Bauer a long-term deal. It's more of like a baseball decision. I really, you know, I'm not going to look at the guy outside of it, but as a baseball decision, I don't think he deserves Garrett Cole money or that. I don't think he's as good as Garrett Cole. So if it was like three years, maybe four. I'm I'm in because they do need help. I I'd be fine with a Sunny Gray trade. It's not Yankee Stadium; it's City Field. Or you know what? I don't know if the Mets have the pieces, but getting like a Louis Castillo. Oh, I wish. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think they're the way they're constituted now? Are they good enough to win this division? I think they're good enough to win the division because. I think the Braves, uh, their pitching has, you know, has a lot of promise and it also has a lot of question marks. I mean, Charlie Morton is, what, 37, going to be 38. 
Uh, he's if he's healthy and gives you the innings, yeah, he's been really good, and he'll you know he'll probably get a bump leaving the AL East and coming to the NL East, which is going to be very competitive. But I, I think just the ballparks in general uh, is is better there. Uh, you got Soroka coming back from the Achilles. I do like Soroka. Uh, was a little worried. I keep hearing everything that he should be fine. And you have uh, Ian Anderson, who struck out a lot of people there last year. Let's see if he can do it over a full season. Smiley, in a small sample, you know, struck out the world. But, you know, he's another guy. He can't even pitch 100 innings or more. That's a question mark there. So I, I think they got questions. The Nationals... Well, I'm happy Brad Hand didn't come to the Mets. I I just think his better days are behind him. I think the Nationals needed to sign somebody. So they got him. That helps. If Patrick Corbin is, is a good pitcher this year or improves up last year, the Nationals are going to have some pitching. I mean, Strasburg, if he comes back, I mean, Scherzer, I'm worried. You know, 36 now, coming off the back. He's had a little slippage. So, but they still have a lot of upside. So, I think it's competitive. I think every team has a legitimate shot. Outside, I don't think the Marlins. I think the Marlins overachieved in a short season. You know, I, I don't really see them as a viable contender. The Phillies needed to sign Real Muto. But I do think the Mets need another pitcher. Yeah, let's hope they get it. Definitely have to be, again, like you said, I think the biggest thing is there is hope now as a Mets fan where yes. we did not feel that feeling at all under the Wilpons. We were just wait. It was doom, gloom and doom. Like we knew, okay, something's going to happen. So uh, with Steve Cohen taking over, there's definitely optimism. And it's always optimism, man, talking to you. I always enjoy talking baseball with you and strategies. I could do this all night. Uh, but let people know where they can follow you on social media to get your thoughts. Uh, yeah, it's uh, at CTM Baseball, Charlie Thomas Michael Baseball. And, uh, you know, I'll be over there. Uh, Ronis, I think you're, you know, you're solid. And not just baseball, it's football, it's basketball. So, you know, that's something to be proud of. You, you, you handle a trifecta of sports. And if I'm leaving one out, my apologies. But No, nah, I just do not, three, bro. I don't have the bandwidth for a fourth, bro. It's enough doing those three, bro, because there's no break. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's like I'm doing baseball in September, and then football starts, and I'm like, oh, shit, basketball's right around the corner. Uh, so which is why I don't do as much season-long for basketball. I do more DFS and actually more sports betting with basketball, especially now that uh, wagering's legal in Jersey. But yeah, I mean, and and the calendar has changed due to COVID, you know, basketball starting late now. But yeah, look, I enjoy doing it. I'm passionate about it. Same with you. The reason why you're good at this is you're passionate. You put in the hard work. And I know there's a lot of people that, that do that, but people say they put in hard work, but they really don't. You know, they you, they take off a waiver wire period. They check like I, I'm not lying. And people could tell you that. I cannot go to sleep without checking every box score. Or if the game goes real late, it's the first thing I do when I wake up. Like, I can't. I'm on vacation on a cruise. I have to get the internet to find out what's going on. Like, I can't. There's people who will get away from baseball for a week. How can you do that and be successful? No, nah, I mean, we got many computers in our pockets. 
I mean, I sleep with my phone pretty much. I'm not going to lie. It's in my bed with me next to my wife and my two dogs. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, like you said, if, if you put the work in, I think if you enjoy something, then it's really not even a job. Like people are like, how can you handle so many leagues? If you enjoy it, like I said, you make time for it. You find the time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Again, Matt, man, always good talking to you. And I really hope that uh, we can meet up and hang out sometime soon. Uh, most definitely, Ronis. Thanks for having me on. Best of luck this year. And keep crushing it. Thanks, man. Again, that's Matt Bodica. Find him on Twitter at CTM Baseball. That wraps it up for Annie Up. I'll be back next week. And I think Howard Bender will be back. So we will talk to you then here on the Annie Up podcast.